Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to church today. My name is Tim, if we've never met before, and I'm one of the pastors here at Faith Community Church. It's a joy, it's an honor to welcome you here today, and especially if this is your first time or one of your first times at Faith Community Church. We really are honored to have you with us today, and we know it takes a lot to walk into a new place like this full of strange people, uh, and we're, we hope today is helpful to you, and we're honored to have you with us today. Well, Shannon Christopher promised that I would explain something about what's coming next week, okay? So uh, this week we're wrapping up a series called What Do I Do What I Do, where we've been talking about the heart and how it drives uh, everything that's happening in our lives. And uh, next week we're going uh, to begin, um, I'll call it a mini-series, because it's only three weeks long, called Sacred Head? Question mark. And the question mark is there on purpose. There's a little play on words going there. Um, what should I say about it? Uh, scripture teaches in many places that a husband is the, I'm, I'm going to use some big words. Is everybody ready for big words? Online, you ready for big words? Here we go. Uh, that a husband is the, the covenant and spiritual head of his wife. And by extension, uh, that he's the covenant and spiritual head of his family. And everything that God says is good. Everything that he says is true and beautiful and by definition is just and right and life-giving. And uh, so that's why we're gonna talk about it. Because I think it's always better to know what God says about something than to not know what he says about it. Okay, there's one reason to do it. Uh, the other is that um, this is the series I wish I'd heard in college. Uh, this is this, th these are the, the things I wish I had understood about why God made me male uh, that I wish I'd known bef before I was married. If I'd never been married, I would want to know these things. And it has uh, impacted and changed the way I approach my wife uh, the way that we are preparing our boys for life in the church, in the kingdom of God, and with families, Lord willing, someday. And uh, it, is, it is all good news. I will, I will tell you this. I've gotten to share this now with probably a dozen young men who are preparing for marriage. And without exception, uh, every single time, it is an inspiring an awesome call that they receive. Actually, I, in the last month, I shared this with a guy preparing for marriage and he, he said to me, I literally have goosebumps as you're telling me this. So I want you to come back. This isn't just for men, uh, this is for women, for everyone who cares about men, for everyone raising men. And uh, here, here's one thing it won't be, okay? I'm, then we're gonna be done with this. Uh, I saw this meme last fall that was really funny. It, it said, uh, the sermon on Mother's Day. You are such a beautiful daughter of the king and you're amazing and God you just created you for these awesome things. The sermon on Father's Day. What the heck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> it's not gonna be that, okay? It's, if, if you're here and you are a dude and you're like, I do not need another message about all the ways I'm screwing up, it's not gonna be that. Okay, everybody say, I got it? All right, let's move on. Here we go. In this series, what do I do? Why do I do what I do? We've talked about the nature of our hearts, that they're the center, uh, the, uh, the complex center of our being and our, 
our hearts are the center of our affections, our, uh, our uh, cognition, uh, the, the way that we choose things. Uh, we introduced this simple picture, Vanna, if I could have my simple picture. This is the fruit to root uh, picture that illustrates the relationship between the things that we do, that is what we feel, uh, what we do and how we react to life and what's down at the root, things below the surface we can't see. Uh, we've talked about concepts like unbelief and idols of the heart. And today as we wrap up this series, we're going to talk about what this looks like over the long haul. Uh, what does change look like over years and years and years? If you've been tracking with this series at all, you've, and you've been doing what we've, we've been asking you to do, which is to, to come to the Lord and say, like Psalm 139 teaches us, Lord, search my heart and know me. Test me and know my secret thoughts. See if there's any way in me that's displeasing to you. If you've been doing that and trying to get in touch with real, what really is happening in your heart, at, you, at this point you may be a little discouraged. Uh, it can be a discouraging process to really put your finger on the things that drive your emotions, actions, and reactions up at the top of this tree and taking your time to really put your finger on what's driving you and then to say it out loud. Uh, I think I shared in week two, it, it, it's a, it can be a dark process and we'll talk even more about that today, but saying to God, God, I am driven along by a self-righteous sense that I can just control people with my voice. That is a lot less fun to say than, she makes me so mad. Isn't that just much more gratifying to say? The things that really drive us to do what we do aren't fun to see, but what do we do when it goes on year after year after year? Uh, what about when you've been a Christian maybe for a long time and you still see unbelief at work in your heart? There are few things uh, as discouraging in the Christian life than sitting in a series like the one we've been doing and having an aha moment saying, oh, I, I see now, this is why I do what I do. It's about my heart and I'm going to repent and I'm going to change and you know, two days later, you're doing it again. Three days later, you're doing it again. Two weeks later, you know, it's four weeks into the series. I'm still doing it. And what is wrong with me? It can be really discouraging. I've shared this with you guys before. But when I was 18, I was at a Christian conference. And for the first time in my life, really, I, I heard and understood and was convicted about sexual sin that was a part of my life. And it was one of those moments. I can remember where I was sitting in the room, and, and I was cut to the heart, and I confessed my sin, I, I repented, I, I said, I'm done with this stuff, I'm walking away, and what followed was 10 years of struggle. 10 years of thinking, what the heck is wrong with me? Why do I do the things that I do? Uh, am I even a Christian? I mean, how can a Christian sincerely repent on Monday and by Tuesday be back in. I just don't even understand how this is possible. There are a few things more discouraging than chronically bad fruit up at the top of the tree. And to say to yourself, geez, I've heard a thousand sermons at this point. I've been in a half dozen small groups. I've asked people to keep me accountable. I've been counseled and yet I'm still doing the things that I do. One of the things that really struck me two weeks ago, Pat Stream was teaching about idols of the heart and he shared a little of his story 
about how uh, anger and depression kind of controlled his life in his 20s and early 30s and how that was impacting his marriage. It was making his marriage a, a, a kind of a dark place where anger and control were being worked out. And then he was out to eat with Tim Porter. You remember this story? In a particularly dark time in their marriage, and Tim said, I think your real problem is you have an idolatrous view of life. And for Pat, that was just like, what? What does that even mean? And I think you're right, but I don't even know what you're saying to me right now. And what struck me is then Pat, it was almost in passing, but he said, it wasn't until five years later that his marriage began to heal. Five years! We hear a sermon about idols of the heart and we think we're going to be better by Tuesday, right? Five years, ten years sometimes, we find ourselves continuing to have to wage war with sin. And then when it's dealt with, you discover, oh, the root goes deeper even than I thought. So today, we're going to be talking about how to wage war in your heart without losing heart over the long haul. To do that, let's turn to the New Testament letter of Ephesians together. Ephesians chapter 4. You can find, find that on page 977 in a Bible under the chairs in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4. While you're turning there, I just got to fix this real quick. While you're turning there, this entire chapter in Ephesians is about the call to Christians to grow up in Christ, to change. Here, Ephesians 4.1, if you have it in front of you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Then he says in verse 13, attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and the full stature of Christ. And then uh, verses 17 through 24, which is what we're going to read, the Apostle Paul describes this conflict raging in the Christian heart. Here's what he says, Ephesians 4.17. Now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. So here is why the struggle is so real in the Christian life. Verse 22, Paul mentions the old self, and in verse 24, the new self. Old self, new self, old nature, new nature. If you know what you're looking for, this conflict in the Christian heart between these two natures can be found all over the place in God's word. But let, let me share a couple of examples with you, and I apologize, these aren't on the screen, but this is from Romans chapter six. This is kind of a long one, by the way. It'd be worth, you, you can find it if you have time. Page 942, Romans chapter six, the same idea. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? He's talking about that old nature. How can we whose old nature is dead still live in it, he says. Verse 3, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we also might walk in newness of life. So there's that old self and there's the, the new self. Our, our, our old nature, you know, in baptism, what we're, what we're and acting out publicly is what God has done spiritually. He's put our old nature to death and raised us with Christ into new life. And actually in, in verse, five, verse four there, he says Jesus himself is that new life that's at work within us. And then verse five he says, for if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with Jesus in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That whole chapter, we could just do the whole chapter and then uh, chapter seven, chapter six talks about the old and new self. Chapter seven talks about, I mean, he literally says, why do I do what I do or I don't understand what I do? And then chapter eight, uh, the best chapter in the whole Bible, by the way, maybe someday we'll preach through that. Uh, but thanks be to God through Christ Jesus who gives us this amazing victory. Uh, Romans chapter, uh, here's another example. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Your old self is dead. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. Here's a a personal favorite. Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's his old nature he's talking about. My old nature was crucified with Christ, so it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, One more, Galatians chapter five. This time we're gonna get, you know, a picture of this conflict between the two natures. Galatians 5, 16. But I say walk by the spirit, so that's the new self, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, the old self. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you wanna do. Isn't that a great description of the Christian life? There are two natures at war in your heart, the desire of the flesh and the spirit, boom, and they are going at it. Now, there's, there's a lot more places where this conflict is highlighted, but just notice the tension in all of these, okay? Your old self is dead and passed away. You need to go to war with your old self. Uh, your sinful nature is crucified and gone, you have to kill it. Well, what's it going to be? Is my old nature dead and am I really free? Or do I have to wage war with it? And of course, everybody, the answer is yes to both. Why is that? How can my, how can my old self be both dead and waging war with me? Well, if you look at all those scriptures we just read, Romans 6 and Galatians 2, Galatians 5, uh, what's the... What's the picture that Paul gives us? I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, Those who belong to Jesus have 
crucified the flesh, and so on. Crucifixion was a horrible, horrible way to die. It was not necessarily fast. It wasn't necessarily a quick way to die. A healthy victim, a strong victim could hang for days and days and days, pushing himself up and down on the nails in his feet and hands with each breath. To end it, to just get the agony over with, uh, they would break his legs and he would die within a matter of minutes. Uh, but a, a cruel executioner, to prolong the agony, might give him a little ledge to sit on or might keep him hydrated. That was probably the worst thing you could do to a victim of crucifixion. Just keep giving him water. And it would go on and on and on. How can my old nature, my old self, be both crucified and gone, yet alive and well and lashing out and tormenting me? Because you keep feeding him because you keep making him comfortable. This process of putting off the old and putting on the new at times can be an agony. It can feel like a, a torment, but the nails are in, the deed is done, he's not coming off, you are a new creation, but rather than going and breaking that dude's legs, you're up there with a water bottle. Here you go, fella, I'm so sorry and you just keep it going and going, rather than allowing your old nature to weaken and die. And this is why the struggle is so real. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. And they are at war with each other, so you do not do what you want. Galatians 5.17. Let's talk then about how to wage war without losing heart over the long haul. I'm going to share four principles with you if we have time, but go back to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. Four things. Number one, you want to win, and you're going to win. If you want to win, you need to pay attention. Uh, you, we could say you need to be awake. That's another phrase the Bible uses. Uh, you need to have a warlike mentality. Scripture uses, you know, military and uh, athletic training language to describe the Christian life because you need to be awake. Probably our greatest struggle with our old nature is that um, he doesn't make himself obvious until it's like really, really hard. Uh, we're just distracted. We're not paying attention. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, not like passively, not like as a hobby, but pay attention to your heart, Proverbs says. And when we don't do that, we don't know anything's wrong until it gets really bad. We don't, under, we don't realize something has gone wrong until our spouse announces she's leaving us, until our teenager opens up uh, you know, an, an open rebellion against us until we've been caught drinking yet again, until, uh, you know, we lose our job for yelling at our boss again. Uh, we, we don't understand what's going on until uh, things get really bad when there have been warning signs for years and years and years. The anger, the snippy comments at people, the gossip, uh, when, you know, bullying 
loved ones into getting what you want out of them. Uh, all of this is just so natural to us, it never occurs to us, oh, this is a problem. Uh, Ephesians 4.17, Paul says to us, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Futility of mind. Futility of mind, is just, it's just an empty mind. It's, a, it's vanity. It's a life that is missing the point. A, a futile mind is one where God is just not present. He's not in the picture. We've said this about a dozen times in this series. The root issue is almost always that God is not in the picture. And then uh, he, he goes on to talk about a, a hardness of heart rooted in the ignorance that is within us. I know this is a stereotypical thing to say, but stereotypes often have some root in reality. But paying, you know, the language of paying attention to your heart is just uniquely difficult for men, I'll say. So Darcy and I used to joke, I didn't know I had feelings until I got married. And she told me <laughs> that I have feelings. I cannot think of anyone prior to my wife who was always asking me, what are you thinking? How do you feel? Nobody ever asked me that before. I remember sitting at the dinner table with her in our first two years of marriage. She'd say, what are you thinking about? I said, I, I am literally thinking about nothing. And she said, that's not even, that's not a thing. Of course you're thinking. Now, so, you know, it, it's easy. I'm just speaking to the men real quick. It's easy for you to sit through a whole se a five-week series about the heart and say, I'm really glad my wife is getting this message. She really needs to pay attention to her. <laughs> you have a heart. And it is driving. This is... This is what the Word of God says. You have a heart, and it is driving everything in your life for good and for ill. And our emotions in particular, which you all have, okay? Our emotions in particular are a gift from God. We talk about them around here like the lights, the, the, you know, the warning lights on the dash of your car. They're there to alert you, hey, something is off in here. And you have to take time and slow down and look what is really going. That's what Proverbs 4.23 is saying when it says, guard your heart with all diligence. I'll give you just one example from my week, okay? So I, I think I told you in the second week of this series, the, the fruit to root uh, picture is one I, I've probably used once a month. Well, then we started this series and now it's on me like two or three times a week. Uh, so here's one just from Thursday. Uh, I this is what happens to pastors. I became aware of a Facebook post teaching heresy. Uh, and what happened, and it, and it was, it's what I call near heresy, meaning, you know, there's flat earthers. I'm not worried about you getting taken away into flat earth, you know, okay? Because it's like so out there and zany. It's like, I'm not worried about that. This is what I call near heresy, meaning, like, these are things that I can uh, see people reading and saying, oh, I've never looked at it this way. And now I'm going to follow this little trail of theology into oblivion. And what happens in my, well, what happens is I get really mad. And I just, you ask my wife, I just start churning, start churning. And this will go on for an hour. And then a half a day goes by and I'm just having arguments with fake people in my mind. You know what I'm talking about. Just nod your heads, okay? And half a day has gone by and I'm in a rage. Some of you have caught me in the store waving my hands like this. <laughs> this is what is happening to me. 
And so I catch myself Thursday morning churning and I say, I got a fruit, I got a fruit to root this. I'm going to guard my heart. I sit down, I brought my notebook here. I show, if you ever find this note, oh, I just tore a page out of my, there's Ephesians, okay. <laughs> if you ever find this black notebook, don't open it, okay. <laughs> what, am I, what am I feeling, doing, and how am I reacting? I'm angry. I'm fantasizing about destroying people with arguments. I'm feeling defensive. I'm frustrated. I'm fearful for the church. I see this false teaching uh, getting in the way of something I care about, which is the church. I, I hate this particular false teaching. I want to exact revenge and vengeance. Okay? What do I want? Trust and fear. I, I want this teaching and these people to be exposed. I want them rooted out. I want them destroyed. I told you this was a dark process, okay? <laughs> what am I trusting? I'm trusting in my own wits, my own tongue, and, and my own power, and my own sarcastic wit to solve the, the evils of the world. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid that this uh, will be, uh, this will carry people I love away. Uh, where is God in the picture I just wrote? I just wrote, Father, what are you doing? Why would you allow this? And then what happens is uh, the Lord brought to my memory several things I've taught that I later believed to be untrue. I've been a false teacher, and God did not publicly destroy me. Uh, and the people I loved weren't carried away by my lousy teaching. Um, this particular False teaching is one I flirted with myself. I found it attractive myself many years ago. And God did not destroy me for that. And then uh, God brought to mind 2 Timothy 2.24. It says, and the, <laughs> this is fun, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to just his friends. That's what it says. <laughs> kind to everyone able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. I underlined gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance as he did to me, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and may come to, they may come to their senses. Fruit, root, repentance, and not wasting a day sinning against people like they aren't even real. Pay attention. Number two, if you want to wage war without losing heart, renew your mind with the word of God. Look at Ephesians 4 again quickly. Verse 20, Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Isn't that an interesting sentence? He, he doesn't say, that's not the way you learned about Christ. He says, that's not the way you learned Christ. The emphasis is there to say, Christ is the substance of what we're to immerse ourselves in, what we're to learn, what we're to reflect on, consider, and reorient our minds around. And we do that uh, through the word of God. Friends, there, there is just no shortcut around the word of God. If you want to grow up into Christ, if you want to be mature, if you want your life to bear good fruit, you need to be hearing the word of God taught week in and week out. You need to be reading it day in and day out. You need to be reflecting on it, memorizing it. There's no shortcut. And I know some of you hate to read. I feel your pain. 
but it doesn't have to be a ton. You can have just a handful of verses here and there that, that a friend maybe has helped you identify to, to meet you in your time of need. I mean, part of the reason, if, so full disclosure, this was Thursday, Thursday afternoon, I had to do another one because <laughs> I was mad about something else. So now you know what my issues are, okay? But in both cases, I had, I had scripture that I, could come, that I could call to mind, I could find in God's word to keep me from, I mean, I could have gone online and really blown some things up. We have another uh, session of spiritual disciplines class coming up in a couple of weeks, and I just want to share with you, if, if reading scripture, loving scripture is something you wrestle with, in the spiritual practices class, they talk about reading scripture, they talk about prayer, they also talk about the fruit to root tool again. So you'll get a deeper dive into those things. I encourage you to check it out. Third thing, we renew our minds together. Look at Ephesians 4.20 again. That is not the way you learned Christ, he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self and put on the new self, okay? I, I love this phrase, assuming you were taught in him. It's just another phenomenal phrase. What is he talking about there? For Paul, I mean, his mind has such an incredible vision of what the church really is that he's able to talk about us this way. He's talking about the church. He's saying that the, body, that the church is the body of Jesus in the world, and he assumes that putting off the old and putting on the new is like part of our discipleship. This is what we're helping each other do. This is what we teach about. This is part of our catechism, and this is what we're here for. I got permission to share this uh, story uh, with you. It's another Darcy story. I know you love Darcy stories so much. So does she. Um, <laughs> but she already shared this at Women in the Word, and so she said I could go at it. So, you know, my wife has problems, too. It's not just me. And... Um, <laughs> So last week, uh, last week, uh, someone, um, someone made a, an offhand comment that, that struck my wife uh, personally. You know? And it wasn't even mean, it wasn't really even directed at her, and she would tell you, I just took this the wrong way, I knew I was taking it the wrong way, I knew I was lying to myself, but she, she felt hurt, and she felt entitled to nurse that hurt. And then she had a walk coming up with two friends from this congregation, and as she was, you know, as she's thinking about the walk, she's nursing this grievance and thinking, I'm going to tell my friends because I just love to hear how right I am. Am I getting it right? Okay. I just love, I know what they're going to do. And so she, she shared about what had happened, and her, you know, her Christian friends are like, oh, that is really bad. That really, yeah, I would be mad too. And then one of them made a joke. She said, well, I guess your fruit to root didn't work. And Darcy was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, it just never, you know, she's just like, oh. You know, I'm, I'm sinning against this person who's done nothing wrong, and then I'm sinning against my friends by inviting them into this churn. And one of them makes an offhand comment, you know, kind of snap her back to reality. How many times is, if you have a meaningful relationship with the church, this is what we're to do for each other. I, you know, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, um, 
We are not in each other's lives simply to fan the flames of each other's unbelief. Her friends are even in danger of doing that. That is not what we're here for. We are here to point one another back to Christ, back to the gospel, and back to belief. Every single person here is in a death struggle with unbelief and sin. And we are here to help one another overcome that. Darcy, to finish the story, Darcy got home. She texted those women right away. She said, I need you to forgive me. I sinned against you. I sinned against this other person. This person loves the Lord Jesus. And I just felt entitled to do this. Would you forgive me? And that's what we're to be doing with each other. So pay attention. Renew your minds with the word of God. Renew our minds together. And fourth, make choices that will starve your old nature. Brad Bigney writes this. He says, every choice we make, whether big or small, is either feeding or starving our old nature. So get used to the idea that there are no small choices. You have to think about the little stuff because little stuff turns into big stuff and even little stuff comes from below the surface, from the heart. Uh, here's, a, here's a picture, uh, a variation of the fruit to root uh, picture we've been using. Uh, this diagram is just meant to remind us every day you face a dozen choices about how you're going to live. And we have to ask, am I going to do uh, am I going to follow what I feel right now or am I going to obey God? Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus, that is the new nature, and make no provision for the flesh. In other words, grant it no quarter in your life. Jesus says something similar in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us to be brutal with your sin. Uh, the Puritans used, would say, be killing sin or it will kill you. The challenge is right where those two paths begin to diverge. All throughout your day, there are these moments of decision where if you're paying attention, you will recognize I have a choice right now about whether I will listen to the voice of God or I will listen to my deceptive old nature. And, and the challenge is because if you choose to go to the left, if you choose to obey the voice of God, it will be initially harder because you are breaking that old man's legs. Uh, but in the, in the, re, the reward in the long run is your old nature is weakened just a little bit more, your new nature is strengthened, faith will grow, endurance will increase. Whereas if, if you choose the, the, the right-hand path, it's initially much easier. Sin is very gratifying for a while. Uh, there's release, you know, in sin. It, it helps you to cope with life. But in, very shortly, it turns on you. You all know this. And there's regret, and you begin to establish patterns and habits of thinking that get harder and harder to break. Galatians 6, 8 says, the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The, the, the real challenge in waging war in your heart is when, uh, when there are deeply formed patterns and habits in the heart. 
And it can feel like I do not see a way out of this. I, I cannot change. I have tried so hard. It is not working. It's year nine. I'm still dealing with this. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. I just want to make another quick plug. This is why we have this thing called freedom groups. Freedom groups are, are taking fruit to root and working it down, down, down. And every semester the feedback is everybody's got to do this and I agree all right last thing we wage war by resting in the grace of God in my own story in my own uh, wrestling with sexual sin the real breakthrough moment came for me around age 23 or 24 I was leading a study in the book of Colossians and uh, I I came across Colossians 3.1. I was in the midst of just one of those dark, dark moments. And this is what Colossians 3.1 says. If then you have been raised with Christ, that's your new nature, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The reason this was so transformative for me is because I was one of those people trying to battle his sin by being obsessed with it. Uh, I wasn't paying attention to my heart. I was paying attention to my behavior, and I was obsessive about it. I was a performer. Everything about my faith was about what I was doing and how well I was doing it. And it was crushing me. And I came across Colossians 3 and I said, oh my goodness. The thing that God wants me obsessed with is Jesus. Not what I'm doing. And it, it radically changed my life. Once you see this, you can't unsee it, and you see it everywhere in Scripture. When God gives a command or a warning, he immediately points you to what Jesus has done and who he is. You find it all over the place. And that's, when, that's where things really began to change in my life. Was it Spurgeon used to say, for every one look you take at your sin, I'll modify it to say, for every one look you take at your heart, Take 10 looks at the cross of Christ. Look at what he has done for you. Be completely preoccupied with what he has done. This has been one of the primary tensions of my Christian life. How do I wage war with my sin and rest in the grace of God at the same time? I don't even know how to do those two things. And somewhere in my 30s, I think it came together. I wage war with sin by resting in the grace of Jesus alone. I consider all of my works, all of my righteousness, all of my good performance, it is worthless to me when I consider what Jesus has done. So that's my closing exhortation as we close out this series on the heart. Get yourself good and worked up about Jesus. This is how Hebrews chapter 12 puts it. And worship team, you guys can come on up. Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
looking to who, everybody? To Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let me invite you to pray as we close right now. Would you just take a minute right now to ask for help again. Ask for yourself, for those you love, and for your church. Jesus, would you help us to see you more clearly? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We ask together in Jesus' name, would you heal? Would you mature us? Would you help us grow up in the unity of faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and into the life of Jesus? We ask this, Father, for ourselves. We ask it for those that we love. We ask it for our city and our nation and our world. Have mercy. Everyone said, amen. Let's stand and sing.